Ephesians chapter 4. As we get ready to uh, begin this, just a reminder, and those who missed last week, uh, September, we're taking just a, a brief break out of our uh, End Times 101 study with uh, covering a number of important things along with some special guest speakers coming. So uh, we will get back to, we haven't finished, gotten to the end the end, or should we say the very beginning of the new heavens and new earth yet there. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, and then we'll read through verse 16, and you want to keep your Bibles open there. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ has apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended to the very one ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. And it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this word. And we ask that you speak to us. Lord, obviously when we say that, we think of what that means to say that within your word because it doesn't just mean that we would hear from you today and walk away. For we do not want to be hearers only, but doers of your word. Lord, may we not just hear in our heads, but in our hearts and in our hands make the decision that we will put into practice what you have called us to. That we will get busy with the work that we have neglected to do. Lord, we need you, Holy Spirit, to come to fill us, to change us, to empower us, to be all of who you have called us to be. And it is in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen and amen. You know, there are many who would say that our country has never been more divided. And, and while maybe we could argue in sheer numbers, that may not be true, but in the number of issues, in the sheer number of issues that are dividing us from COVID in general to masks to vaccines to all the areas of race relations and everything that goes on with this to the war efforts to politics to the elections to uh, just a whole boatload of other things. We just keep listing off all the things that have divided us in this country. And while the church should be the one who has the answer to the problems of this world, including this divisiveness, instead Christians have so many just joined in the worldly attitude around them and with the devil who is behind it all. To the point that we've brought it into the church as lines are being drawn in churches and sides being taken. And I'm not even talking about all that stuff I just mentioned. 
I just there, there's stuff that's going on now in churches that have nothing to do with COVID and everything else. For example, there are several high-profile churches. Just I keep reading about every week. High-profile churches with respected, Bible-based, well-known pastors that many of you have listened to and probably have their books at home that are having private, having the private, messy church disputes go public, even to the point within a service. This is a problem. Not because of what's going on in the world, but because of what's going on in the church. We're not living out what God has called us to be as a church. In part because what I am um, calling today, uh, saying today that is the church's most neglected work. The most neglected work of the church. And I realize that that's kind of a bold statement, you know, maybe, you know. I, so there may be ones that you might want to say is this or that, but we're not going to have division over it, right? Uh, there might be ones like that. In fact, I think some of the ones that you might be thinking of are actually I would classify as some of the most forgotten works of the church. I'm talking about a neglected work of the church. In part, missing the priority. In part of it, it is it comes down to what we're looking at here in chapter four, and really a theme that is in chapter four of Ephesians that can be summarized in verse three: make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. We have neglected to take up the work. Of unity. In part because we have missed the priority of unity that God wants. For many Christians, if unity doesn't happen, that's sad, but it's no big deal. But it is a very big deal to God. And as we will see in His Word today, what it comes down to in our message, what we need is we must work at unity that God requires of us. I'm not seeing anything back there. We must work at the unity that God requires of us. How do we do that? We begin, first of all, with this point. We need to realize, we need to realize it's going to take individual effort. In other words, unity needs me to get to we. It's going to take individual effort. Let's just walk through this. Verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Let's just start with that. Paul's saying in verse 1, I beg of you, please, please, please live a life that is worthy of being called a Christian, a Christ follower. Please continue to walk out a life that is worthy of what Jesus has called each of us to be and do. Live that life. Live worthy. Often we think about when we think about this in verse 1, what you're reading. To live a life that is worthy of the calling we receive, often all we think about is just, oh, well, we've got to live our life morally correct or, or have the right religious habits. But living a life that is worthy to have the name of Christ on it is more than being a well-behaved, good Christian. Verse 2 goes on to talk about it's our actions, and we're going to look at that. It's more than just our actions. It's our attitudes in verse 2. In fact, it goes beyond even that. It goes to verse 3 that says, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Paul starts out, I want you to live a life that is worthy of being called a Christian, the worthy of what you've been called to as a Christian. But we've neglected verse 3. A life that is worthy to be called a Christian in this context is the one that works at unity. A life that is worthy is a life that works at unity. We don't just kind of separate verse 1 from verse 3. It's not just about what I do in my individual life as a Christian and how morally I live. It's 
what I do as an individual Christian that works towards unity with others in the family of God. This is not something that only we must work on. It is something that I, me, must work on. It is necessary that each of us put in individual effort to keeping the unity of the Spirit. Because that's what verse 2 was talking about. How do we get there? Be completely humble, gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love. Verse 2 commands us how to get this unity individually. This is not something that just corporately we got to do. Individually, we get there first by being humble. It's In fact, us just humble, but completely humble. And let's face it, one of the main reasons that keeps us divided rather than united is pride. Our pride insists on my way, on my rights, and that I am right. Not only missing out on humility, the humility that perhaps there are things that I have yet to learn and that maybe I'm not perfect, even in my understanding of what's going on. But even if there is not a shadow of a doubt and that the evidence is overwhelming that I am 100% correct, I can still be 100% wrong. That's what we got to get. And our attitude. I can be both right and be humble. It is possible. There's a sense of lowliness. And when we talk about humility, I mean humble, it's not about somehow thinking of ourselves as nothing or thinking of ourselves as unworthy. In many ways, it's really just about not thinking of ourselves. That's what it comes down to. Not thinking of ourselves at all, but thinking of others first as our mind is fixed upon Christ. But all too often, we're thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about what matters to me. We're thinking of this selfishness that gets in the way. There's this selfishness that is pride. That, uh, let's face it, probably the number one reason that marriages break up at the core, at, at the base of what's going on, is pride, is self, selfishness. We can end up focusing on not just ourselves, but on when we talk about this, it's about not just focusing on ourselves, but on those things that matter to us. You know, we think, I'm not selfish because I'm thinking about this or I'm concerned about my family. But even that can become a selfish kind of way of thinking, especially when we do not think and live the way Christ has called us to, which neglects the rest of the people around us that we've been called to love. In fact, the rest of the people around us, even within this room, that we've been called to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Pride becomes the focus on the priority of individual preferences. Pride is is that individual preferences that deals with our faith. It's about what we want. It's about what we like. It's about what we've always had. It's about our pet peeves. It's about our little soapboxes. And and occasionally our individual convictions. And yet on those things that, most of those things, and most of those things that cause friction and divisions, most of those things are not black and white, chapter and verse, never changing, absolute, overriding, priority truths of the Word of God. They're not... Absolute truths of first importance. You know, the Bible talks about those things of first importance, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. Oh, now it's not moving. Uh, try again. There we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see what he's saying? I pass on to you what is first importance. You got to get this. There are things that are of main and first and priority and essentials to the faith. Which means there are things that are not. Things that we may differ about that should not divide us. Because they will not divide us in heaven. Do you understand what I'm saying? For example, uh, we've been doing uh, in the end time series. 
talk, one of the things we talked about was the rapture and when you believe the rapture is going to take place. What you believe about the timing of the rapture is not going to keep you out of heaven. What you believe about Jesus will. But what you believe about the rapture will not. So why should it keep you out of fellowship with me? Why should there be a division when in heaven we're going to be united no matter what you think about the rapture? We've got to grasp this. Next, let's move on to the next part. Humble, gentle, someone who is meek, someone who is not rude or harsh, not the person who is ready to fight at a moment's notice or ready to argue, but quick to stand up. Rather, it is somebody who is gentle, who kneels down. It's not about standing up. It's about kneeling down. It's, a, it's not my response. You know, uh, this is going to be a newsflash to some. But it is not mine or yours. I, by saying that, I'm, I'm, I am trying to throw this out here. So it is not my responsibility to always give someone a piece of my mind and let them have it. Not always that my responsibility. In fact, oftentimes it's, we're not siding with God. We're siding with the enemy, the accuser of our brethren. But it's not a responsibility. But it is our responsibility to be meek. To be gentle. Which takes greater strength and maturity. It's like a lion that pulls in its claws. But that doesn't mean that the lion doesn't still use its paws. The gentleness of spirit within us is what will help to keep the unity of the spirit between us. Next is patience. Patience is not counting to ten before you throw the first punch. You know, I'm going to be patient. One. I'm just going to count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six. You know, maybe you're not saying it out loud. Am I saying this out loud? I thought I was just saying it in my head. You know, that's not being patient, waiting to hit somebody or say something or whatever. That's not patience. Always at a moment's notice, reg, you know, with this stuff. Patience is not something that we give to those who deserve it. You know, uh, I'll, I'll give patience to this person because they deserve it. None of us deserve patience. That's the very nature of what patience is, is that you give it to that which is not deserving because if they deserve, deserve patience, if you don't have any problem with them and you're patient, and you don't, you don't have any problems. You don't need patience. It's like, it's, I'm good, you're good. That's not patience. Patience is when you really want to, but you hold back. And patience, in fact, the English word that's often used for patience is long-suffering. You like that one? Patience, long-suffering, suffering long, expressing patience with other people, including those that are not good and those that are not good to you, with a patience that does not give up. Can we see together that without patience, how will we ever get to keep the unity of the Spirit if we don't have patience? This is an attitude, an individual attitude individual effort that we need to make there are those who would think that they should be able to express their anger whenever and whatever way they want and think unfortunately that's not what god thinks god has said it in many places including in in james be what quick to listen and slow to speak and okay it's pretty clear see talks about it do we have the same patience that god has with us and if you answer that too quickly, yes. I know some people are like quick to say, oh, yeah, I do. Then perhaps we really don't understand how patient God really is with us. Maybe we do not understand how bad we are or how good God is. Can we see that if we do not make an effort to be patient, it will be nearly impossible to have the unity of the Spirit. Next Part of the attitude that we have individual effort we're to give is to be bearing with others, to bear. Make every effort. I think of bearing with one another in love. 
That is, in a sense, takes patience to a, another level, to an action, enduring action, bearing with others who are real bears. That's what it is. They're bearing with others who are real bears to get along with. This is not about having a short fuse. This is about not having a fuse at all. To bear with them. Instead of choosing to bear with them to, you know, not, not just put more time on the clock before the explosion happens. Again, it's about disarming the bomb to begin with. Not just putting up with people. Bearing, what's it say? Bearing with one another in love. You don't put love and just put up with somebody in the same sentence. Are you with me? If we are to bear with them, it is not just putting up with them. These people will fall short. There are certain people that we are to love like Jesus. It, it, it including those who wrong us and we need to forgive. Colossians uh, chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Bearing, okay, here's the thing. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you will, must also forgive. Above all of these, put on love, which binds them everything together in perfect harmony. See, bearing is about forgiving. Bearing is about love. Bearing is about Perfect harmony is all of those things. The church is a family. And no family is full of perfect people who never say or do anything wrong, let alone take something the wrong way or have miscommunication happen or take one another for granted. But we bear with one another. We don't bail from one another. Are you with me? We bear with one another. We don't bail from or on one another. As we think about the main point, it takes an individual effort. The me will make the we. In each of our lives, your me makes the we here. Most of the time, the we united attitude together is a reflection of our individual me attitudes just look at these verses here that i'm going to share with you that deal with unity that we're to live out where is it that you fall short in each of these individual effort that's needed first of all first peter Chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. This is a part uh, unity. What do you get? Unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. Next one, Philippians 2. 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord. This is talking about a unity, a full accord, and of one mind. How are we doing? With intentional effort, with individual effort, rather. And finally, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. All right, so I want you to, as you look at those, and not just like, okay, well... Yeah, I, that first one says, uh, well, we should kind of be a unity of mind or we should have brotherly love. No, look, specifically, God used words. Each word is inspired. There's a reason each word is there. Grade yourself. That, by the way, you don't have to hold up anything. Oh, and oh, I should probably say, uh, God doesn't grade on a curve. It's pass or fail. So, grade yourself. On the intentional effort... The individual effort that you are using, the individual effort you are using in relation to these verses to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of faith. Where do you need to make the effort? Now understand this. When I say that, it's not something that we do on our own. It is the unity of the Spirit of God that we have to, that we have 
through the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that we are given a supernatural ability to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be forbearing. You're saying you have trouble with all those things. Guess what? You have, if you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit and you have a power within you to be all of those things and to have those attitudes. In fact, if you are a believer in the Holy Spirit, you have the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Think about it. If all those things were really where they needed to be in us as Christians, there would never be any discussion about problems with unity. It would just happen if really individually all of us had the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that gentleness that we're supposed to have. We don't. Not because we don't have it, but because we are not putting in the individual effort that we need on our part and trusting the Holy Spirit of God to come upon us and surrender to Him. Instead, we surrender to our flesh instead of surrendering to the Spirit and what He wants to do in us and to work these things in us, in our individual lives. The power of God helps to us to live this way so that we can live in the unity that God is asking. So let's move on to the next point. Obviously, we've talked about realizing it's going to take an individual effort, but here's the next thing. We need to realize it's going to take, and as I begin saying that, we need to, it needs a, an intentional effort. Not just that which is individual in ourselves, but intentional in ourselves. Uh, yes, we're Christians. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. Yes, we have a, a unity of the Spirit. So some people say, shouldn't that mean that the unity just exists, it just happens between Christians? I mean, we have the, all have the Spirit, so shouldn't the unity just be there? We just have unity. Yes and no. In verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Yes. It doesn't come from God. The unity of the Spirit, not the unity of man, not the unity of OCCA. It is the unity of the Spirit has been given by God and exists through Him and in each Christian. Unity, in other words, here's something we need to grasp. Unity is not something we need to create out of nothing. Unity is not something we have to go out and find. We have unity because we have the Spirit of God. We have already been given the unity. What does this verse 3 say? Make every effort to keep the unity that you've been given. You, we have it. But that unity of the Spirit is something that we have, but it's also something that we need to make an effort to keep, or it wouldn't say that word, to keep. And unfortunately, that's not something that we're doing. We've neglected this work. In the church, we have neglected this in part because we have not re recognized that we've been given this work in the first place. Also in part because we don't think it's something that we should have to work at. Why should we have to work at unity? We think it should just come natural. If you're a real Christian, it should just come natural. There should be unity. And, and you're a part of a church, if you're a part of a church where that doesn't seem to be happening, well then just leave that one and find one that's, got, that's spiritual enough to have some unity. You know, that's the way it works. That's like we, some people think about marriage. You know, marriage, good marriage shouldn't be difficult. If it's real love, you shouldn't have problems. You shouldn't have to work at it if you've really got love in marriage, which is not only wrong, but the exact opposite of what, what love is. The love that works happens between people who work at love. I mean, think about it here today. We're... Hopefully you've got your communion elements, the bread and the cup. Think about what they represent. Think about how hard it was for Jesus to love us. Was that something just come natural? Was something easy? No. It didn't just happen. It took an intentional effort for Jesus to love us. Why do we think that it should just happen easy, natural between his people? If we're going to experience the unity of the Spirit, it is going to take an intentional effort. And that's what we are told in verse 3 of Ephesians chapter 4. It says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Some take that to mean you should, 
at least try to make an effort at unity. You know, you should try to... No, that's not what it says. It doesn't say try to make an effort at unity. God says make every effort. Right here, verse 3, it says make every effort. That word means hard work, earnestly, zealously, determined, eager. There are no holidays from labor, but every day we labor at keeping the unity of the Spirit to do one's very best fully, quickly, We will not be able to stand before God and give some excuse that I tried, but, you know, they didn't really want to be united and it was just a little bit too hard. And and so I just walked away. We will have to answer when we give up too quickly without persevering in love that does not give up and gives all. Relationships take work. Notice the next word in verse 3 there. We are to keep the unity through you know, make every effort. So the first is to make every effort, and that means hard work. The next it says to keep that unity, meaning to continue to carefully, not just watch with care, but that word, it means to guard, to guard. The enemy wants to tear down, divide, destroy the unity of the Spirit. And our task that God has given to us is to make every effort to guard that Unity he has already given to us. Are we doing everything in our power to defend the unity that we have? True or false? It's not something that just happens on its own. It takes intentional effort. And unfortunately, we're too busy with our own intentional efforts doing this and that with our own causes, what we want to do. Or maybe we just want to just do nothing and just retreat in our own little caves by ourselves and not have to deal with people. But God tells us that we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This is not the only place that God says it. There are so many other places. Take take this one in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort. Notice, doesn't sound a lot like what I just read. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Even the, the early church needed to be reminded of this. Let's remember that. Even then, even back then, they needed to be reminded of this. An intentional effort, not just as individuals, but an effort that needs to be put forth together. Unity is about a oneness of heart and mind and purpose of relationship that can only happen with others. By very definition, you cannot do unity by yourself. I mean, that should be like one of those duh things, right? Unity requires us. And in each of us, it requires an effort, an intentional effort. Look at verses 4. Let's move on. Verse 4 is 6 here. But there is one body, one spirit, as you were called, one hope, one. Uh, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. In all of us, here are the things that are are important. These are the main things that make us one right here. These seven things listed. One body, whether we recognize it or not, if you're a believer, you are a a member of a body, of a body of Christ. And God's intention is not just to somehow say we're part of a universal body because that means has less meaning when we're talking about individual parts that he's placed in. The universal body doesn't have four hundred and fifty thousand livers you know it is this one as we think through this in the body here one spirit you were called to you know one lord one faith all of these things the father of all it's not my father in heaven it is our father in heaven who is over all these are the truths that unite us for some it's other truth oh i got to stand up for this truth It's not on the list. Often we're standing up for truths that divide us that aren't even biblical or in the Bible. Brothers and sisters, they shouldn't be. And we find ourselves divided over things that even God doesn't talk about. That God does not specifically address and you can point to and this is what is going to keep somebody out. We're not always making an effort in the right area. In fact, it is easier to divide than it is to unite. And for most of us, especially within uh, the same local body of Christ, 
what unites us is far greater and far more than what divides us. We need to see that. That what unites us is really far greater, far more than what divides us. In fact, it's about who unites us. But unfortunately, our myopic focus on what we see, what we want to do, the only thing in our view just crowds out God's view of unity. We've neglected an important part of the work of God because we've become distracted with what God has not called us to. Distracted believers can easily become divided brothers and sisters. I'll repeat that. Distracted believers can easily become divided brothers and sisters. We need to make an intentional effort to listen to the voice of Jesus, to follow the Spirit that makes us one. Unfortunately for some, when they hear this talk of unity, uh, you know, especially talking about a unity of together with others, it's like, I I don't know about that. I mean, they're a little fearful, uh, getting close, being committed to others, but one heart, one, oh, I, you know, they're just a little, we don't have to be afraid of God's will for us. This is what he says here. This is what he said in this verse, other verses I've shown. So it's not just me speaking. These are what's been here. God's will for our life we don't have to be afraid of. When things don't go smoothly, it can still be a part of God's plan. When there seems to be a problem that we have in life, one life rubbing up against another life, you know what? That could be part of his will and how he works to knock off the rough edges and refine us to be more like his son Jesus. In fact, that may be the one way that he really wants to do something amazing in our life and transform us. But it's not going to happen outside of a relationship with others in the family of God just as he planned it. Unity in the Spirit. It is through that unity of the Spirit that we get to be mature Christians, grown-ups in the faith. We don't think about that because often, even though we don't believe it, we hear those voices that talk about, uh, you, you don't need church, you don't need uh, other people, you just leave your faith on your own, do the Lone Ranger kind of thing. Uh, there's no Lone Ranger stuff when you read through the New Testament or even the Old. This is how we get to be mature. Look at verse 13. Let's just move on down. Uh, it talks about, uh, uh, even in verse 12, to prepare God's people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. I mean, that's part of the goal. That's what we're going towards. We all reach unity in the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. How many of us want to be mature in Christ? How many of us want the full measure a wholeness, a fullness of Christ? How many of us want the fullness of Christ? Guess what? To get mature, to get that full measure of Christ then we must reach a unity in the faith. It's there, right there. We must have that unity. And we cannot be mature until we reach that unity. We need each other. Verse 16, a little later, goes on to say, From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting limit, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work as the individual and the intentional effort is used. Please understand, don't be overly defeated. You're, I said give yourself a grade, pass or fail, and you may have just failed on all of them. Don't be overly defeated in this, in the sense that Jesus knew we would struggle with it. Not only because it's mentioned here, but Jesus himself prayed. He knew it wasn't something that was going to happen naturally, which is why, I mean, think about how many things Jesus prayed for answered right then and there, but how many things Jesus prayed for that were in the future for us? Not many. And one of those things was about unity in John chapter 17 and verses 21 through 23, that all of them may, Jesus is praying, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, and they may be one as we are one. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete what? Unity. Then the world will know you sent me and have loved them even as, even as you have loved me. This is God's will. We know it. there's many places in the word that he says it, but it's also it's so clear that this is what God wants so much so that Jesus prayed. 
and I believe is still praying and making intercession for us. A unity. And this is not a, a message of condemnation for Oil City Community Alliance. Now, I recognize that, as I said at the outset, there are many of this whole attitude of the world that has come in. But this is not something I'm bringing up here, especially for those who might be newer. Um, this is not, you know, it's not like uh, I'm giving some veiled reference to some major division amongst us. You know, this is this is not uh, some thing like, hey, you guys better straighten up. You know, it's, this, there's, it's just a challenge for us to fully live up to what the Word of God calls us to, especially in this time. There are good things happening. There are many hearts reaching out to one another and lifting others, encouraging and being together. But just because a church does not have open division, just because a church seems to get along, does not mean we have biblical unity. And I know I've talked and said this before to others, and I'm not sure it actually... I'm hoping the Holy Spirit can just break that through for us to recognize because here's what we do we tend to think that keeping the unity equals not fighting we tend to think keeping the unity would mean well i just will walk away before it gets bad then i'll keep the unity if i walk away or keeping the unity is then you know eventually i'll just have to get rid of that relationship if i just walk away from the relationship get rid of that relationship don't have anything to do with it anymore then i've kept unity the exact opposite you haven't kept anything. You let it go. That's not keeping unity. That's letting it go. That's getting rid of it. Unity is about the positive that we should be, not just avoiding the negative we should not. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. I appeal to you. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but he doesn't stop there. You know, he's just saying, hey, don't have divisions. No, he said even before that, uh, that you have the same mind. But he goes on, no division among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And we think, well, I don't know that's going to happen. Well, as long as we got pride, as long as we're not humble, as long as we're not uh, patient, as long as, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. But God will make what happens his will will be brought about if we will submit to that. We have to just recognize. And even some of the other scriptures, our intentional effort that needs to happen is about so much more than not having bad, but what he's asking of us. I mean, let's go back to this. Back to, uh, I had some verses earlier that I asked you to grade yourself on. Let's go back. I threw the one that we had in there up there as well. Uh, Romans fourteen nineteen. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. True or false? Uh, pass or fail? We need to be reminded of this. We think through this. What is it? Are we really making every effort? All right, let's go to the next one. First Peter three eight. Finally, all of you have unity of mind. Is that? Where there needs to be work, intentional effort? Is it in sympathy? Is it in brotherly love? Is it a tender heart? Is it a humble mind? And I guarantee you, for all of us that even are just here, let alone those who are watching, it's going to be different. But that verse, all whole verse, applies to the whole church, to each person. Which is it? What is it out of there? that we need to start making intentional effort. Let's go to the other verses that I mentioned in Philippians. Complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, in full accord of one mind. Or only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel, so that when I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you standing firm in one spirit, with one mind. What is it for you? Where is the... Individual, where is the intentional effort? Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
You think about that last part, striving side by side. It is difficult to be together in heart and mind if we are rarely together. Can we agree to that? You know, it's hard for us to be difficult. It's hard for us to be together in our heart and mind if we're rarely together in body. We cannot have union if we never have communion with one another. There are opportunities for us to do that Sunday morning here, but oftentimes it's a brief contact with just a few. The opportunity for us to keep the unity of the, to uh, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit needs to take place out of, outside of Sunday morning. It needs to be beyond this. There are opportunities. There are, uh, there, are, there are groups or even forming small groups. There are opportunities to get together through things that I just mentioned earlier, like three by threes. You're not even committing your whole life, you know. Uh, you're not going to have to arrange marriages between your children to get together in this. It's, it's easy, to, you know, once a month, three times. Uh, in those uh, three months, uh, once a month, over three months. There, the, the, the meals that we have together this coming up on the 26th, you know, yes, it's a chance to invite people and have that outside, but it's also a chance really that we want for us to gather together as a family of God. Recognizing that gives us the opportunity to put into practice that we make every effort to keep the unity together by being together. We get together. So that Sunday, uh, when we that's an opportunity, and we're going to continue to do that. I've mentioned that before. It, it just doesn't make sense that... What God called us to and what is biblical unity and all these things are not just going to happen by us just getting here on Sunday morning. It's got to happen beyond that. And so we get together. We have those opportunities besides all our ones that we did in the summer. We're going to say, listen, at least once a month, at least once a month, we're going to get together, to eat together, to have a meal, to have something that we do together and give that opportunity. You know... We need to make every effort to be able to make every effort to keep the unity of spirit. It's going to require some of us to break out of our bubbles. We talked with someone recently about this, something in a sense that in this last year and a half, we've almost been pushed into bubbles, haven't we? You know, pushed into this as though what you've got to do. And already, as, as it is, Christians have a problem with being in their Christian bubbles and never having contact with people who do not know Christ which makes it difficult for us to be witnesses when we are not with them, right? How do you witness uh, those about Christ if you're never with somebody who doesn't know Christ? Well, how do you keep, I mean, you know, keep that unity of the Spirit if you're never with someone who has the Spirit? It's like we've also gotten into our individual bubbles so much so, not just that we don't get together or don't ever see non-Christians, we don't even see Christians, other than maybe in our own family or maybe a few select that we've always been friends with. We are to keep the unity of the Spirit. But to do that, we are to make every effort. God says that, not me. We need to join our lives together through the Holy Spirit so that in this hard work, it will be harder to break us apart what the enemies do, and it will be easier to move us forward in what God wants. You see, when Jesus prayed earlier in John 17, I read that earlier, why did he say it was important? It was something that he wanted, and, and one of the reasons it was important, so that the world may believe that you have sent me and that they may be able to see you, Jesus, the Father, to be able to see the Father. They, that point of unity, our unity, was to reach the world. Just like Jesus said, the point, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, right? As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, how will they know Jesus to us? Not just us going out and doing all projects and stuff like that that we may have. The number one work he's given us to do is within ourselves, in ourselves, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Ask the worship team to come. Father, I pray as we get ready to join you in this
Next part, Jesus, with uh, what we call communion. We recognize that in our uh, American Christianity, so many times we can individualize this. It's just about, right now, me and you, Jesus. But that's not the way you say it in your word. In fact, you tell, you've told some in, in the churches in, in Corinthians there that they need to wait on one another. They do this together. Not only recognizing the body, your body that was broken, but recognizing the body of Christ that you died for. Jesus, you did not just die for me. You died for we. Together. To live in the power of unity that would transform the world. That is so needed right now. I pray as we take a hold of the bread that we remember how much work love is and what you did for us. Help us to recognize how great a love you really do have. Bless this now in your name. If you would take your bread, the element. The night that Jesus was betrayed, He took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take and eat. Lord Jesus, we ask your blessing on the cup as well. Move and work it out.